Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Coming up on today's show, ahead of the papal visit, we'll get an update from Golden Eagle. How's he feeling about things? We'll find out. Cost of gas in Alberta, why is it so high, especially when you look at the rest of the country? And a couple of cool science discussions today. Hibernating insects, regrowing mussels on demand, never been seen before, and success in transporting an Alberta dinosaur. We'll find out how. Let's chat now with uh, Marcel a.k.a. Golden Eagle. Uh, we've had him on the air many times, and as I said, I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not bringing him on here as a voice for all Indigenous people, and I don't think he'd represent himself as that. But he's somebody that we turn to for some perspective on this and some wisdom, and I know he's uh, someone that a lot of people in the audience really respect and appreciate. So, Golden Eagle, thanks for joining us again today. I appreciate it. Good morning, Shay. We're Wapastim. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing ill. Wapastim means white horse, right? Exactly correct. Uh, I do appreciate the moniker. Um, listen, this whole, help me wrap my head around this because I want to, I want to recognize and understand the importance of this papal visit. How do you feel about what's, what's going on? How important do you think this visit itself is? Well, I think the visit itself is important. It's important to all those that follow the, uh, the, uh, Catholic or Christian religion, follow the faith. Uh, whether they're Indigenous or non-Indigenous or otherwise, I think it's great. Um, I do have mixed emotions with regards to to the apology. That's I imagine that's forthcoming uh, for the Indian, resident, Indian residential school experience. I mean, it's a really it's a really really difficult uh, subject to to open up and. Uh, so survivors and their family members and uh, a lot of people have mixed emotions. Uh, so I think we need to proceed uh, cautiously and uh, carefully and, and respectfully um, because there is a lot of uh, backlash with regards to the papal visit um, and rightly so, but I think we need to try our best to be mindful and respectful of each other as human beings. Okay, so let's go through. There's two aspects to it, like you say. The first one, it's important. It, it was in the, the reconciliation report is something that needed to be done on the road to reconciliation. Why? why on the plus side of this visit, why is this something that needs to happen, Marcel? Well, I think uh, we need to right the wrongs of the past. We need to acknowledge the genocide that... that um, that was carried out on the native people of North America, and we're still feeling the effects of it today. And maybe this papal apology and visit is another brick in the yeah. in the road to reconciliation. You know, I know my although my father passed away last year, he he would be pleased that uh, effort is being made by non-indigenous people to to work towards reconciliation. That's what needs to happen. The native people can't drive the bus on reconciliation. It has to be the non-Indigenous people, and um, we're hopeful that uh, this is on the right track. 
you say there's backlash. It's not, you know, there's, I don't want to say suspicion, but there's some caution. Uh, why? What, what's that about? Well, uh, we only have to look at any treaty signing to to take word at face value, right? Um, every agreement we've ever had with the Canadian government or colonial government and settlers or otherwise is uh, has not been lived up to. So we're still waiting for uh, the visitors to our country to uphold their end of treaty. And, and so when we talk about things like reconciliation, we're hesitant, or, and I'm speaking for myself, um, I'm, ha- I'm a little bit hesitant, but I'm hopeful, right? We have to figure out a way to do this together and work together, and it's not easy. I mean, we deal with arrogance and ignorance and racism every day, and sometimes we react or overreact, and, and sometimes we don't do enough. And uh, I think this papal apology is uh, is a good is a good step for uh, for the uh, archdiocese or the Catholic uh, faith to to work towards righting the wrongs. I know from my personal experience, in my own in my own opinion, I know there's thousands of um, of clergy that. Uh, that the Canadian government has lists of names of people that committed a, these crimes against children that uh, have never never been charged mm-hmm. formally, and I know that a lot of that's what a lot of people are looking for, um, or or hoping for, and we don't want to forget. We don't want this apology to come, and then all of a sudden the Canadian government says, "Okay, we wash our hands of the old whole situation, and let's move on now." There's still there's still some things that need to happen. With regards to the injustices that our, our our children and our communities and our people experience, and um, does that mean charging clergy? Maybe does that mean laying some charges? Uh, I, I would hope so. I mean, it's crimes against humanity. Um, like you say, this can't. I mean, that's the risk, right? That okay, we've taken this major step, this major event has taken place, and now things go back to being forgotten about and not progressing and not moving forward. That's the concern. That can't happen. No, it can't. I mean, that's definitely the concern. There's uh, there's some discussion. There's some there's uh, some protests against the Pope uh, that's happening out there in the, in the Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities, and that's okay, right? I mean, that's that's to be expected, and we have to respect their decisions and their wishes. But the papal apology, if it is an apology, it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen, whether we uh, agree with it or not, and. Uh, I think we have to do our best to utilize that to help us heal. And we're, our communities are just starting to heal, working on the healing aspect of Indian residential school and its residual fallout. Um, in August, we're, we're attending a, a healing camp in Frog Lake First Nation for three days for Indian, Indian residential school survivors. We're doing it our way. We went, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Right? And so... So we're we're dealing with the 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 uh, opening of the wounds after this papal apology. People are likely going to be triggered. I mean, if they've been uh, sexually abused, beaten, or 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 what have you in in um, in the Indian residential schools, the papal apology is likely going to tear off that scab, and we're going to be dealing with uh, some emotional uh, traumas, you know, and so. We're, we're attending the healing camp with the survivors and their family. We're going to have sweat lodges and pipe ceremonies. We're going to do crafts. Uh, we're going to do cultural events. 
and we're going to try and have some fun at the same time because healing shouldn't always be about uh, pain and suffering and tears, right? It should also be about sharing the language, the culture, the ceremony, and having having some fun while doing it. You know, and um, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. I was just going to say, Golden, we're, we're running into, we're going to have to take a break for news, for, but you can hang on for a couple minutes after that for us. Oh, yeah. I've okay. got about an hour for you. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, okay, so what we'll do is uh, we're chatting with uh, Marce- Marcel. Uh, the audience knows him as Golden Eagle. A bunch of you were actually texting yesterday and said, hey, maybe you can have Golden Eagle come on and, and give us some insight into uh, how he's feeling about this situation and his thoughts on it. So uh, we we're happy to do that and glad that he could join us. So what we'll do is we'll take a break for the news. When we come back, though, I guess the question I want to ask Marcel and, and, the, and the other side of this is, um, like he said, he, he, he welcomes this and recognizes this is an important step, but it can't be seen as, oh, we've done this now and we're going to take our foot off the gas, right? It needs to be part of the process and a continuation in the effort to reconciliation. And it's just one small piece of that. So um, is he going to get involved? What are his plans for the weekend? I know he has family uh, that went through residential schools in Alberta. Um, How are they feeling about it? Is this something that they feel they want to take part of? We'll chat with Marcel, a.k.a. Golden Eagle, when we come back after the 9.30 news. Right now, we'll continue our discussion now with Golden Eagle and uh, the papal visit that's coming up uh, starting on Sunday. I think he arrives about 11.30 Sunday morning and is here for a few days, including the papal mass at Commonwealth Stadium and the pilgrimage to Lac St. Anne and the visit to the site of a former residential school at Muscochise. Um, All of those events taking place, uh, Golden Eagle, are you going to be in attendance at any of them? Is this something you're going to be part of? Uh, no, uh, unfortunately not. Um, I've been working really hard the uh, last little while, and I'm going to uh, be taking my grandsons to a powwow. And uh, that's not to say our family's not involved. Yeah. Uh, my brother, uh, he's the, the chief of our community, Frog Lake, and uh, he will be the one uh, that will be, he'll be the first person greeting the Pope as he comes to our country and steps into our treaty territory and along with his family, uh, our family members. And uh, I think that's that's prolific. Uh, it's fantastic that uh, the Indigenous community is uh, the welcoming party for uh, for the Pope. Is it something that you would want to be part? Like, how is your family feeling about this? Like I said, I know you have experience within your family in the residential school system. Uh, if you're comfortable talking about it, how how are they feeling about the next few days? Well, I had supper with my mom and my sister last night. Uh, my mom's name is Alma. Her Cree name is Pasquamustus Squirrel, like Buffalo Woman. And my sister Val. My mom was known as Indian Number Nineteen at the residential school, so. Um, she has mixed emotions, you know. Um, it's not something um, that's easy. Who's phoning? Oh, it's not a phone. But um, <laughs> let me just do that. What are you getting? A phone call? Yeah, just hang on. I don't know how to hang up on these. <laughs> he wanted to try Skype today. Yeah, so, so we've got him on Skype. Skype. I haven't been on here for, for years <laughs> since I was policing. But, you know, I, I met with my mom last night, and she has mixed emotions. But I know, I I believe she she feels it's a good thing, right? It's This is something we prayed for in our ceremonies and our in our, our our sweat lodges and our sun dances. And for those that attend churches, it's something that we prayed for as a step towards reconciliation. Well, yes, it's a difficult thing, and... 
and it's for those that went to residential residential school my heart goes out to them because it can't be easy to 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 uh, talk about some of the things they experienced and but i hope they find that when the pope makes if it is an apology that um it's a good step towards their own healing right and i know people worry about the cost i mm-hmm. hear a lot about taxpayers yeah, yeah. and talking about costs and it's going to cost 35 million dollars but you know what let me put this in perspective i go to an oiler game and i pay 200 bucks to go watch Connor mcdavid buy a 12 dollar beer or a 12 dollar hamburger or a 12 dollar hot dog you know and uh and i enjoy the game and then uh we talk about costs there's there's uh how many 18 year old taxpaying canadians in canada 30 million maybe it's mm-hmm. a dollar each, right? It's a dollar each that that we're paying. Let's not discount the native community. We're paying taxes too. We're paying a dollar each per Canadian to set up this papal visit. That's not even the price of a coffee at Tim Hortons. So let's really not harp on too much about the cost of for taxpayers. Let's you know we when we talk about costs, we see our, our lands uh, being being raped and pillaged on the daily for our resources, or, our, or we lost how many lives in our communities and uh, the social inequity we face each day. Let's, when we talk about costs, let's let's get real. I could talk about this all day. We're no, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. No? I I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I don't think it should have cost this. I don't know if all the money that's being spent and all the things that are being done had to be done in order to facilitate this. That's the question. I mean, and to me, from what I know about the Pope Marcel, I don't think he's the kind of guy who requires all of this. You know what I mean? Well, you know what? It shouldn't take a pa- the pa- papal visit to get the horrible roads in our native communities repaired. They repaired a certain section of road in Muscatrees to accommodate this visit. Mm-hmm. Our roads are substandard, our water is substandard. Hopefully they do something about the water while the Pope's here. You but know? you're right, and you shouldn't take the papal visit to make that happen. That should happen regardless. Well, yeah, I mean, if you read the Bible, Jesus walked around without a bodyguard and entourage. What are we afraid of? Like the native people aren't going to do anything. But, uh, you know, there's so many things that we could sit here and talk about and hash out. But uh, before we lose sight about arguing about taxpaying dollars and whatever, you know, let's 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 stick to a conversation about the visit. And what do we expect? What are the Canadians going to do about it once the Pope apologizes? Are they going to get on the road to reconciliation? Are they going to drive the bus? You know? I got upset about a comedian in Calgary the other day was making rude comments and jokes about uh, the kids that were buried in a residential school. And the people in the crowd were laughing. Are the Canadians ready for this discussion? Do they want to have this discussion? You know, so this 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 papal visit and apologies, it's bringing things to the surface, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, are Canadians ready for reconciliation? There are CMP... Well, we're talking about an apology for all the residential school survivors. The Canadian government and the RCMP are fighting the Native people in BC in the wetsuit for their land and their resources with military militarized weaponry. You know, and is that right? This is our country and our land, and and we're we're being treated as otherwise. You know what I'd like to see at the I'd like the Pope to in his mass rescind and and 
and denounce the doctrine of discovery. We're not even recognized as people in our own country because of the doctrine of discovery. We're fern and fauna. We're like the rabbits and the grass and the and the and the and the bears, right? We have no rights according to the doctrine of discovery and the Canadian government. That's the foundation it's built on. So, I say, renounce, remove the doctrine of discovery. Do it while you're making the apology. That's reconciliation. You know, that's a big step. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. I think I think you make a great point that this is an important thing that's going to happen in the next few days. But it's just one of. And as we know, uh, you know, there were so many recommendations made within that report. There's, there's a lot more that needs to be done, right? Yeah. Who's all going to the to the mass, right? Uh, I, I, I think that's great. I think that's great that the Pope's going to be providing a mass here in uh, Canada and in, in the Commonwealth Stadium for sixty-five thousand people. I hope, hopefully, hopefully their their hearts are filled with the idea. And the need to get on the reconciliation bus. Like I don't want yeah, exactly. to die. I don't want to die and and, and not have uh, any effort made towards reconciliation for my grandchildren. I have to believe that that my dad who who was who was stripped away from his lands, his his ancestral lands who who passed away, he's busy in heaven right now, uh, uh, guiding us down here, helping us and, and that this is something he would want us to be involved with, right? Is reconciliation. And uh, and so his son will greet the Pope. Isn't that amazing? And then that's a good first step. And there's going to be people out there that say it's not a good thing. And there's going to be people out there that, that uh, protest the Pope. But you know what? In our communities, we have... Uh, we have holy men and, and ceremony keepers and pipe holders and uh, and lodge holders and Sundance holders. They're not they're not denouncing the visit. They're right. praying for for all humanity. They're praying for all people to work together and come together, and and uh, and uh, uphold the Creator's laws. They're simple laws. It's love, honor, and respect each other, and and um, that's what we need to do with each other on the daily. And so if you're a lodge holder, would you be saying, I denounced the Pope's visit because it hurt our people? Or it's a good thing, let's pray and work together and try to come to some resolve. And I think that's what this can this this can be with the Pope's visit. We can come away with some ideas how we can get the, onto reconciliation. We can get to how the Roman Catholic Church is gonna right the wrongs of the past for uh, for what the students, the children experience at any residential school, right? Because we all know, and I know in my heart, I say it all the time, sorry is not enough. Sorry is not going to be enough. And I always talk about uh, obtaining, getting our lands back here in, in our own country. I talk about the mines and minerals and all these things, they, they are all interconnected. But uh, for the Pope's visit, you know, my mother is, uh, has mixed feelings, but uh, I think in her heart she believes it's a good thing. It's positive, yeah. I know when she, once, when she was first asked if she wanted to meet the Pope, uh, when the rumblings of the Pope coming to Canada started, and somebody contacted her and asked her if she wanted to meet the Pope, and she said, uh, I don't know if I want to meet the Pope. I don't know. But if you ask me if I want to meet George Strait, uh, sure, I'll go to that. <laughs> 
you know? <laughs> Great point. You know, but Marcel, you make so, so many good points in terms of let's let's look at this as a positive. It, it, it'll be what we make it. And 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 uh, you know, thanks so much for joining us and bringing that message because I think that's you know if we can all approach it from that point of view that um, this you know this is a good thing. So let's just greet it as that and build off of it. I think that's that's a fabulous starting point. So uh, thank you as always for joining us, Marcel. Switching gears now, we're going to talk about the price of gas. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about Canada's inflation rate a lot, right? Topping 8%. Um, and the biggest piece of that we hear over and over and over again is price of gas, which is up, I believe, last time uh, I saw, uh, 56% year over year. So if you're buying a tank of gas now, it's going to cost you uh, 56% more than it did last year. Uh, and more and more often, especially in our province, we're hearing a lot of people saying, what is going on? Uh, we had Dan McTague on a few weeks ago saying, well, it's pretty simple. You're, you're getting ripped off. Uh, Brian Jean, as part of his campaign, is asking questions about why we're paying so much for gas and our gas stations taking advantage of the situation. And he hasn't said gouging, but I mean, okay, use whatever word you want to use. Uh, so Dan McTague joins us once again. We brought him back to get a bit of a breakdown and get more insight on this. Dan, thanks for joining us. Always, always nice to chat. Yeah, good to be here, Shay. Thank you. Okay, so let's just start by defining what we're talking about here. When we talk about the price of a liter of gas in Canada or in Alberta, how is that made up? What do we know goes into the cost of a liter of gas? Well, into the liter of gas, if you're looking at a day like today, um, you're looking about 82, 83 cents of that is uh, is oil okay. uh, in the province here. 21.05 is federal tax. That's the carbon tax 11.05 and of course uh, the 10 cent excise tax. There is as of April 1st I believe no uh, no uh, provincial tax so then you're left with uh, approximately 8 cents uh, as a as a GST and the rest of that if you look at uh, prices today uh, you're looking at about uh, uh, roughly dollar forty. $1.44, the rest of that $1.43 to the $1.75 that you're seeing in a lot of gas stations is, in fact, a retail margin. So it's $0.33, cents a litre uh, is going directly to gas stations uh, who make money, by the way, uh, uh, in convenience stores, make a little bit of money, of course, uh, on the side uh, if they have a, a, a wholesale price uh, discount. But generally speaking, um, even without tax, retail margins that are at least double what we consider to be exceptional. And so, yeah, uh, gas stations, it's good to be a gas station owner in Calgary, in uh, Edmonton, in Alberta, Manitoba and Saskatchewan and BC's interior because you're making a killing. Okay, Dan, I can tell you that it, it's it's well over 174, 175 in some locations. It's more like a dollar eighty five, dollar yeah. eighty nine. Yeah. So some stations doing even better than that. They are, and so that really means it's only one eighty nine. The base price that you're considering the wholesale price of gasoline is about a buck eleven. Uh, you know, you add that twenty one, that's thirty. It's costing about a buck forty one to buy their fuel, and they're selling for one eighty nine. Yeah, then that's forty eight cents a liter. And if you're selling ten to twenty thousand liters a day, uh, well, you're uh, you're making a killing, and it doesn't cost you that much. I can guarantee you that a, a good retail margin is ten to fifteen cents a liter. That's exceptional. Uh, but anybody who comes out there, and I've heard a few people trot it out that they bring out uh, so-called experts saying, "Oh no, this happened before. It's never happened before. This is a this is a Category Five fleecing." And I think the public really has to understand that gas stations are holding back 
on the, the, the decreases that are coming. In fact, tomorrow there's, a, there's one that's almost five cents a litre. Uh, it'll make, uh, if we see prices remain where they are, 175, 179, 189, uh, then they're just simply going to pad their margins because the cost of replacement has, since the middle of June, consistently dropped by at least 45 cents a litre. Uh, you're probably getting maybe 10 cents of that, the other 35 I got to say it, they're pocketing it. Okay, that's what I wanted to ask you because you know what they're going to say. Oh, yeah, but the gas we bought wasn't, I mean, prices come down. We paid more for this gas. I mean, is there any other defense that you would accept no. as being making sense here? Any other one? No, because I, no, because I fought from Shay. I'm the one that basically went out and came after the major oil companies when they were trying to do them in the 1990s by using a weak competition act that allowed price inversions, something that was illegal in the United States, Britain, Australia, but their competition act was written in such a way that it uh, favored concentration. Look, if you're selling 10,000 litres a day and your tanks are 100,000 litres, and after 10 days you've got uh, that inventory you thought has dropped in terms of the cost you a lot more is over. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. something that's been going on for a month, not two or three days. So that excuse quickly goes out the window. And that's why I often say when I do my predictions for Western Canada, in the next three to seven days, you'll see the following fall. But it's not. These folks, and I don't know who it is, someone's got a lot, an awful lot of market power to sustain these prices. I do, however, give compliments where compliments are due. Uh, UFA. Uh, and I, you know, uh, Calgary U.S. Petroleum Agency, they're doing extraordinarily well. Yeah, it's like 143. Yeah, oh, if they're 143, that's even better. I, I got to tell you, they're, that's a lot closer to the 10 cent a liter retail margin that we see everywhere else. By the way, Toronto gas prices are a dollar 68.9 tomorrow, not a dollar 77. And Toronto has a 20 cent disadvantage to, to Alberta. So, Look, uh, I'm not sure what it's going to take uh, if people should be aware of this, but I, I want everyone to understand the numbers don't lie. And if the wholesale price of gasoline has been pretty much in the dollar, you know, uh, that is before taxes, have been in the dollar eleven, dollar fourteen range, and they're selling it for a dollar eighty nine, uh, and taxes are only about twenty six cents a liter, we've got a problem here. Uh, when we brought in that, like you say, back in April, we brought in that 13 cent a liter uh, gas tax suspension, the provincial gas tax. Um, and the premier at the time said, we're going to watch like a hawk and make sure that that yeah. doesn't just quietly get sucked back in in other ways. Taking a look at the numbers across the country, we're not getting a 13 cent a liter bargain at this point over anyone, are we? Well, you have. I, I have not seen any problems in the month of April. I saw no problems in yep. the month of May, and I could even accept what was happening in the month of June as prices hit their high. But that was June 11th. Uh, by my calendar, that's uh, it's now July 22nd. <clears throat> that's 40 days ago. Uh, what's happened isn't so much uh, the lower tax. It's simply that gas stations have absolutely refused to pass on the savings that they're receiving. And so their retail margins, which have always been very competitive, but, you know, in the range of 10 to 12 to 13 cents a litre, are now 40 cents a litre. And that is unacceptable, and it's wrong. And whoever is managing those gas stations ought to be ashamed of themselves because what they're doing is creating an environment where people are rightly going to ask for regulated gas prices. There's no way in the sun they can justify that. And I'm, I'm the last person to be fighting for regulated gas prices. I fought for a lot of these small independent gas retailers. Maybe 
they're controlled by a handful of players. Uh, and that is something that might invite the interest of the, uh, the competition bureau. Not that that's going to happen overnight. But Dan, you mentioned regulation. There are provinces in Canada that have regulated gas prices, right? There's a maximum that a retailer can charge in terms of a margin in what, five Correct. provinces in this country? That's correct, and there was often, well, yeah, Quebec has one just for retail margins to make sure that major oil companies don't kill small independents yeah. and they get guaranteed for. The Maritimes, however, have this weird, wacky formula, especially Nova Scotia and, and Newfoundland, where um, it's based over the next five to seven days. And with that, they basically uh, provide an average. Right now, it's hurting consumers big time. They're not getting the advantages that we're seeing in Ontario and Quebec in unregulated markets. But then it makes my argument against that kind of system, which is bizarre, banal, because you don't need predictability is there. Markets are open and transparent. Hell, you can even see the rack price for gasoline at Petrocan terminal rack price every day. Just add the taxes on top of that. You know how much it's costing gas stations. You even have predictability based on what we're seeing in the New York, Chicago, and uh, uh, Pacific Northwest markets. So there's nothing hidden about this. 30 years ago when regulated prices were all the rage, people knew nothing. And now, of course, they have access to all that information. In a day like today, I still believe more so now than ever before, the last thing we need is regulated prices. But now the caveat has come in. I mean, if 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 gas stations are going to allow uh, a significant fleecing on this level, um, that I'm not sure what uh, intervention needs to take place, but I think, first of all, we need to sp- you know, focus a spotlight on who's taking advantage of consumers here. And not the po- person behind, working behind the desk, but gas station operators. Many of them all are owned by you know a group. There might be 10 or 15 that they're owned. Those are the folks you have to go after. Those are the folks that are basically making uh, yeah, a killing at the expense of the public. And I'm not talking a small amount. 20 cents a liter is what it should drop minimum. 20 cents on an average fill-up of 60 liters. You're forking over every time you fill up 12 to 13 bucks to those folks. That is unacceptable, and it should be a priority for all governments in Western Canada. Yeah, and it's starting to be, I think, Dan. I think you're right. And you know what the other thing you talk about is when you're talking about the price of fuel, and we're talking about inflation, uh, Alberta's getting an extra layer of inflation because the price of fuel touches everything. Yeah, the next month, um, when we see the inflation numbers, they're actually going to go down. They won't be 8.1%. They'll probably be closer to 6.5, and that's true because we've seen these price decreases July to July, uh, you know, narrowing so that, you know, buck 70 in Ontario and Quebec, buck 80 versus last year when it was a buck 30, will be a 40 cent difference versus what it was in June, which was a, an 80 cent difference, yeah. except Alberta, where the price remains high. So it, inflation is going to be remain stubbornly high. There's a, another consequence to all this, and that's, the, you know, you're, you're forcing an economy where there's plenty of gasoline, where there's plenty of oil, there's plenty of energy products to pay more. I can't think of any other way to describe this, but, you know, out of sight is out of mind. I suspect that up until now, public ignorance and, un, you know, unsuspecting consumers unaware why these prices remain so high was uh, was was prevalent. But there you have the facts. A lot of people are talking about, you're right, uh, this show is important because I, I really want people to understand I am a big fan of the gas station owner and the gas station retailers, but they're making my work absolutely impossible with this kind of uh, this kind of uh, uh, taking advantage of consumers. Uh, last one, I'll let you go. We've gone a little long here, but uh, people on the text line asking, okay, so what do I do as a consumer? What can I possibly do about talk this? I need MPP, gas. MLA. Yeah, talk to your member of the Legislative Assembly. Okay. Have them uh, break down the numbers and have them call... 
you know, Parkland, have them call Imperial Oil, have them call Shell, have them call uh, dealing with their their downstream. And in mind, some of those companies have since spun off their retail uh, efforts and operations. But this is unacceptable. And it's, you know, they know that. I think it's going to take wider public condemnation uh, and uh, repudiation, um, especially by elected officials, uh, to get them to uh, to motivate. Because otherwise, they're doing themselves no good. Um, and, uh, you know, again, uh, <laughs> the heroes of the day, if I were out, and get, I, I'd wait two hours in line and, and fill up at UFA. Yeah. I would tell all the other ones to take a, a flying leap. Yeah, if you can do it. Yeah. Dan, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for joining This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Joining us. Janice White. Yes, science. Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. 1.21 gigawatts. Yeah, we like to talk about science, at least for a few minutes on a Friday, and find out what's going on in the world of discovery. We've got a cool one for you today. A discovery made by a group of Canadian scientists, one that documents something that, well, as far as I can tell, from what I read, has never, ever been seen before. It's pretty interesting, and uh, we're going to find out all about it with Dr. Jackie Levinson, a postdoctoral scholar at the University of California in Berkeley. She worked on the project at Western in Canada when she was a PhD student, so that's how we get to that. Uh, Jackie, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Okay, so we're going to be talking today about mitochondria. So let's define the terms of the discussion here. When we're talking about mitochondria, what are we talking about? So a lot of people, I'm sure, know the mitochondria as the powerhouse of the cell. Okay. So it's the part of our cells that give us energy, that um, help our muscles move and kind of help us stay awake and metabolize and do everything we need to do to be alive. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. Simple mm-hmm. enough. Now, Historically, doctor, how have we understood mitochondria to work? How do they function? What's the life cycle? Do they live? Do they die? How do we? What do we know about the way they operate? Yeah, so I mean, mitochondria are important for all living things, and and we actually um, they're the most important when we breathe. So when you breathe in oxygen, um, it's actually your mitochondria that are taking up that oxygen and then converting it into a form of energy that we can use. Okay. So they take up oxygen and then they release carbon dioxide, which we then breathe out. And mitochondria, you know, they're, they're fast-living organelles, and they can um, become damaged where we might have to get rid of them. We can make new mitochondria, but all of that is really tightly regulated in ourselves, in, in all types of animals. Now, what you were looking at in particular is a mm-hmm. phenomenon where you understand that mitochondria can be, for lack of a better term, turned off uh, for, like, you know, hibernation, overwintering, things like that. Some organisms can shut it down for a while. Would that be a good way of describing it? 
Yeah, for sure. So a lot of hibernating animals, so for example, tiny ground squirrels, you might see often all over Alberta. Um, even some bears that hibernate, um, they'll basically slow down everything in their body. They slow down their metabolism. And a lot of the time they do that by turning down the activity of their mitochondria. And it just lets them kind of run on a, a low power save mode all throughout the winter because most of the time these types of animals during the winter aren't eating anything. So you need to be able to conserve as much energy as you can so you can survive those long cold months. Okay, so you were looking for that and doc, trying to document that in uh-huh. in potato beetles, but you saw something completely different. What did you see? Yeah, so I was looking at um, this beetle called the Colorado potato beetle, and it hibernates underground kind of all over temperate North America. And I thought that maybe I would see something similar, that maybe they would just turn down the activity of their mitochondria. But instead, what I found is they actually just get rid of all their mitochondria. So they almost take a sledgehammer um, to all of the mitochondria in one of their really important muscles, which is called the flight muscle, which is what normally they would use to fly. So in insects, there's tons and tons of these mitochondria in their flight muscle, which normally power their flight. But what these beetles were doing is they said, hey, we don't need to fly during the winter and we need to save all this energy. Let's just get rid of the mitochondria altogether. Okay, but then what happens when it's time to do things that require energy if the mitochondria is gone? Right, so that's a really good point. So normally you would need something like exercise training. Like in humans, we need to train our muscles to grow new mitochondria. So you need to go to the gym and lift weights. You need to jog and and work up to running a marathon. Um, But these beetles, while they were still in hibernation mode, they just are able to ramp it up and turn on the production of new mitochondria without any type of cue. So it's almost like they anticipate that they're going to need the energy, so they grow it without having to do anything. And that's never been seen before, right? No. So, yeah, it's interesting. I like to say it's like an analogy. If you or I wanted to start jogging after the winter, you know, you can't just leave your house in March and be able to run a half marathon. You need to be able to work up to it, right? Whereas these beetles, it's like they can literally just wake up and run a marathon. Amazing. So what's the potential here? Can we possibly figure out a way to apply this to other things? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously still very basic research, and um, at the heart of it is understanding how insects can survive the winter, which might give us a little bit of a cue of, for example, um, these Colorado potato beetles are a pest of potato plants, so it might help us understand how to better control them. But on the other side of things, because we all have mitochondria, mammals have mitochondria, insects have mitochondria, it can give us a clue into how to maybe uh, jumpstart yeah. making new mitochondria when you're in a disease state. So, for example, as we age, um, our muscles waste away and our mitochondria don't get very healthy. And it's really hard for us to be able to make new ones as we get older. Um, whereas these beetles, it seems like they age really quickly and they waste away their muscle. But unlike us, they can just turn it back on and start making all these new healthy mitochondria. So there is a very, very possible potential that we can use what we learn from these beetles to create some sort of therapy to kind of help jumpstart mitochondrial proliferation in some sort of disease state. Amazing. Amazing work. Dr. Levinson, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Hey, Sarah, do you remember when we did the original dinosaur discovery interview? How long ago? Was that a year ago? Could it be a year ago already? Close to that. Probably, right? Something like that, yeah. It was last summer, I'm pretty sure. Remember we did the interview about the discovery of a hadrosaur, I believe it was called? Um, And then the discussion was they'd found this wonderful um, 
skeleton, but the question was, how are they going to get it out of there? And, and, and so we, we had the scientists on talking about this discovery and the issue of magic to move this skeleton to somewhere where it could be studied. And you know what? Problem solved. So let's find out how. We're going to chat with Mark Powers, who's a PhD student studying vertebrate paleontology at the University of Alberta. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time today. Hi. Thanks for having me on, and it's good to be here. Yeah, so let's just refresh uh, the audience's memories uh, and mine, to be honest. This discovery was last summer, correct? So it was ongoing work, actually, right. since uh, 2018. But last summer, we got to the point where we were ready to collect the hadrosaur skeleton, and we were just struggling to find a way that we could transport it to our camp which was about three and a half to four kilometers away from the site itself. Yeah, and the discussion at the time, because there wasn't there talk of maybe trying to float it down a river or something, or am I mixing this up with a different one? Oh, no, that's the same one. Same yeah, one. our original thought was... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, our original thought was that we could essentially float it down river or get the use of a boat, and then that way we just had to move it a little ways and then get it floated onto camp and then up and loaded into a truck. However, the river tends to be quite low at this time of year. Uh, this is a weird year in that it's actually quite high, but uh, we had already made arrangements after following the previous interview to get a helicopter to lift it out. And that worked, right? I mean, that happened. You had a helicopter come out yesterday, in fact, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, LR Helicopters provided a helicopter lift for the specimen from the site back to camp, and they did it all within about uh, 45 minutes. So it was a very quick and stunning thing to kind of watch to see our little dinosaur fly into the air and get uploaded to the clouds and then dropped off at the uh, at the site. And it all went smoothly? Everything worked just as it should? Yep, yep. Their one concern was if it was going to be too much weight. When we initially flipped the jacket, we were probably sitting somewhere at two to two and a half tons of rock and bone. And then we managed to shave it down to about 900 pounds, the helicopter operator said. so. Awesome. So what's what's in the future? So what happens now? So the specimen will be transported today to the University of Alberta. We'll store it there until it can be prepared. And then once it's being prepared, we'll continue to do research on the specimen. It has a very interesting pose in which it is crouched rather than laying on its side, which is abnormal for skeletons like this. And it's preserved a lot of organic material in its gut content area, which may in fact be the mineralized gut content themselves. So we're excited to keep studying it as we prepare it and hopefully have a few research gems that come out of it. Fascinating work. I'm glad it all worked out for you, Mark. Yeah, thank you very much. Excellent. Okay, thank you, Mark. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.